Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. Did you ever have those moments in a car when you're driving and somebody goes across you like, and you got to go, oh, your heart literally jumps because you say, if I had been like a second earlier, I'd have been dead. I have a theory in relation to that. And here's my conspiracy theory in relation to all of that, okay? I believe, it's not just because I'm a Marvel fan and I like the multiverse, but I do believe in multiple universes. And I do believe in, see, I'm not spiritual or anything like that, but I do believe that, say, for example, like, I'll give you this example. It's called the butterfly effect, and I'm sure you all know what that is. But you're driving your car, and somebody stops in front of you, and you're not concentrating. And you look up suddenly, there's a car stopped, you slam the brakes, and you don't hit them. I believe that in another universe, you did hit them and you died. But then life goes on. I believe that everyone, I know this is a bonkers theory, by the way, but it's just in my own head and I believe it. I believe that everyone who dies doesn't actually die. I believe that life goes on. Um, but in another universe, their life carries on. And everybody around them carries on. But in that universe, they die and everybody misses them. That's just weird. Isn't it? And so there's probably, and like, for example, you, you pick up a cup or you, I don't know, I pick up this can here and I drink a drink out of it. But in another universe, I didn't pick up that can, which means that that was three seconds of my life. So it means I might get out of here three seconds earlier. And because I got out of here three seconds earlier, I might get hit by a bus. That's that kind of butterfly effect. But in that other universe, I didn't because I didn't pick up the can. Isn't that all a bit weird? Sorry, that's just a thing that I have in my head. I'm a very deep thinker sometimes. It's time for an interesting guest because we like to have interesting guests towards the end of the night and we all wonder what happens after we die, don't we? Uh, some of us have faith and some of us don't. But we all kind of wonder, you know, is it just going into the ground and that's the end of it, lights off, just like when you go to sleep at night? Or, well, mind you, you dream when you go to sleep at night, don't you, sometimes? Go off into some sort of fantasy land. Of course, we will never know for sure what happens because nobody ever comes back to tell us. However... The people who have had near-death experiences are perhaps the closest we will ever get to getting some sense out of that. People who are almost died. Deborah Prum is a writer whose non-fiction has appeared in the Washington Post, Southern Living Ladies, Home Journal and the Huffington Post and many other places. Her fiction has appeared also in many journals and anthologies and her humorous radio essays have aired on NPR member stations. And she joins me on the line. Deborah, good evening to you. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Now, we, myself and Jane were chatting about near-death experiences earlier on. We've had close-death experience, but never a near-death experience. So explain, I suppose, first of all, what we define as a near-death experience. Um, I'm not an expert on near-death experiences. I can just talk about my own. Okay. And, um, I, um, I had two, two, two of them um, several years apart, and uh, one had to do with um, giving birth to my first child, and um, I can describe the whole experience, but you want a definition. Um, and, no, I, I want, the, I want uh, the whole experience as well. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. okay. Well, uh, I was uh, uh, about a month before the baby was due, um, uh, I realized uh, I wasn't doing well. We rushed to the hospital, and uh, I apparently had the HELP syndrome, which was uh, my liver had stopped working, and I had my plate, platelets weren't functioning, so I you know, that means that you can bleed out. And um, I had really high blood pressure. 
And while uh, they were trying to figure out what to do, um, I was uh, lying um, on a gurney. And um, it, ironically, I was on the faculty of the department that was taking care of me. I was at Dartmouth Medical School, and I was on the fac- faculty of maternal and child health. And yeah. I was lying there, and the next thing I knew, I was um, observing the whole scene from a corner of the room. And I saw, okay. you know, the midwife, and I saw the physician, and I, he was kind of yelling at her to get me to the OR right away. And then... Um, nothing. Um, uh, I was so sick. They put me into a three day medically induced coma because so many of my vital functions had stopped. Did you see yourself? Working. By um, the way, did you see yourself? No, no, I was in myself. Oh, okay. I, mean, I, I, I was, I was viewing the whole thing and it, I, it very dispassionately too. I, I, it didn't, I really didn't have an investment emotionally in what was going to happen, which was so strange. Range yeah. for me to remember later. Yeah, and then the next thing I knew was three days later coming to, um, and uh, holding this little tiny baby. Um, he was really little, and actually, as I was holding him, he had a stop breathing uh, experience, and he went back into the NICU. And we were both in the hospital for two weeks, mm-hmm. recovering from um, all that happened. That was, that was bizarre that, that was, you were kind of disconnected from all emotion, and you're just seeing this as if it was somebody else's life. I imagine. Well, yeah, I can't say I had a sense of who I was, mm. but I remembered the room very, very clearly, and I remembered like Millard Simmons was the uh, neonatologist who was there, and Maria Capri was the uh, nurse midwife, and I remember the words they said, but um, at that point, I was crashing. I was having a seizure, apparently, um, and also my blood pressure had gone up really, really high. Um, Look, and, you didn't uh, have a stroke or something, is it? Yeah, because that would. Be I the... did not have a stroke. Yeah. No, but the the thing, the reason that they gave me max sulfate at that point was to induce a coma, which yeah. they left me in for three days while my body, I guess, recovered. But yeah. I was pretty pretty out and, of it. And when for you a say while. when you when you say so, you observed all this happening, and then suddenly it stopped, as if the lights kind of went out. I imagine was was there anything just. Before that point where you stopped, and and obviously we, we describe this as a near-death experience, you know, where you're close to death almost. I mean, was people often describe, you know, seeing a light or, I don't know. Did, did well, you see anything like that's that? that's my second experience. I had I had a second experience. Yeah, this is so a Valentine's Day of all days. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a Valentine's Day. Uh, my husband and I were going to meet two other, three other couples downtown in Charlottesville. It was a really bitterly cold night it was one of those crisp cold nights it was not it was not raining or snowing and i put on uh probably one of the two times i've worn my mother's thick chesterfield coat real thick wool coat uh herringbone just from the 40s probably because it was so cold we got in the car and uh one of the couples uh, the wife was sick and we were going to bring chicken soup to her before we went down to the restaurant as we were approaching a light I looked at it and I thought, wow, that's the greenest light I've ever seen. It was just so bright and green. And I was really happy because I thought we'll have time to drop off the chicken soup and get to the restaurant. And the next thing I know, well, I'll tell you the other part of what was happening when I, when the car got hit, a man who has had no license, um, didn't speak English. It was in a car a, a massive SUV that wasn't registered, um, hit us. Uh, head on, uh, 
lights to lights at, um, and we were at least going 40 miles an hour each yeah. of us. And uh, what happened was my husband, who was a physician, hit his head on something. I don't know what. I was not conscious and uh, hit his head hard, broke his glasses, he was bleeding. And then I got hit by the airbag, apparently, um, and uh, was unconscious. And he tried to revive me. At the time, he said it was about four minutes. I don't know if it was three yeah. four minutes because we didn't have a watch. My experience, though, was completely different. I, um, I felt as if I had been dropped into a vat of, of shimmering yellow pudding. <laughs> wow. Just, so it's it's hard, to, <laughs> hard to describe it, but... The, the, the no, most, I'm the I'm most, I'm uh, envisaging that now. I am envisaging that. Like, right. I I can see was, that. Yeah, and I had no sense of who I was or where I was, but I had the deepest sense of peace and that everything was okay that I've ever had in my life. I'm not a peaceful person. I'm not a person that's at rest very often. I hardly sleep, and I'm always running around. But this was the deepest sense of peace and being at home as if just it was it was unbelievable I don't know how long I stayed in that state and I didn't see anybody or hear anybody or anything like that and I can't say that I felt attached to my identity I didn't but what I did hear was my husband's voice kind of in the distance calling my name apparently he was trying to resuscitate me and get not well, yeah. I don't know what he was trying to do because I was unconscious. But trying to bring you back to life, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Because he didn't, he couldn't, he didn't see me breathing or find a pulse or anything. But of course, he was in shock too. So who knows exactly yeah. what was going on? But so um, I, and I felt guilty about this later. I did not want to go back. I was was really, and I'm not even sure I had a choice whether or not to go back. But I definitely had this feeling of, oh my gosh, just it's quite euphoric, was this? A little bit euphoric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, was, it was interesting. It was just so. It's kind of like it's too. like that feeling you get, you know, when you're really enjoying a dream and you don't want to wake up. Right. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like that's true. Although even with a dream, you have a sense of identity. With this, there was no sense of who I was. Um, and then when I came to, it was the bizarre, most bizarre thing. I came to, and there was all this sparkly stuff in our car. I don't know if it was. Uh, the headlights from the other car were shining into our car at a weird angle. And Bruce's, my husband's face was all bloody and his glasses were broken. And he was frantic. And I just couldn't figure out what had happened or where I was. And then within a minute or two, and this is another extremely bizarre thing, uh, someone opened the door and it was, a, a, uh, it was a man who had been driving by. We were at a very, very busy intersection. So there were cars mm. all over the place. And, yeah. um, and the other man who hit us was running around outside. Uh, but this man looked like he had just walked out of an office. He had kind of a receding hairline and curly hair. And he had you know, office clothes on, like a, a, a collared shirt and everything. And he opened the door and he said, um, I'm not going to try to get you out, but you, you, I don't know if your engine's on fire or not. What I was seeing was all this stuff coming out of our oh, engine. God. I don't know okay. if it was on fire or not. And he said, but I don't want to move you because... In case uh, you're injured, yeah. Break your back. Right. So he held my hand, and he just stayed there, and he, kneel, he knelt by my side. He, was out, he had the car door open. He held my hand until the ambulance came. Later, Bruce said, I didn't see any man. There was no man. 
She's like some but, sort of guardian <laughs> angel. Yeah. Very bizarre thing that happened. It wasn't like if it was a guardian angel, it was a very um, like a non-intimidating one. Yeah, in office clothes. Yeah, office clothes. But I, I know I experienced someone being there with me, telling me to you know stay calm, and he would stay with me. And he said something like, "If the car does catch on fire, I'll take you out." But uh, mm-hmm. you know, get get me out of the car. So yeah, that was. As bizarre as the rest of the experience, and you never found out. Obviously, Bruce didn't know who he was, or Bruce didn't see him. But so nobody else saw him. You were the only one. No, well, I don't know if. See later, because it took so long to recover from this. It took. I had um, a a ton of damage from the airbag, uh, and I don't know what else. But to to my chest and abdomen, I had. And uh, a hematoma the size of a football over my heart, which was really dangerous. It was. I kind of wonder if my mom's thick coat helped me in that Probably you know, situation did. because I, 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 yeah, I like to think it did. Uh, but it took us so long to. It, seven, it took me seven months to recover from that, just from the pain and uh, because I had was not breathing for so long. Somehow I did damage to the cartilages in, in mm. my ribs. I don't know. Uh, so we didn't really talk about it for a while, till a while later. And I, said, I remember saying to him, wow, it was so great that that guy came and helped. And he said, there was no what guy. guy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what, what yeah, guy. What guy. Yeah. But can I ask so, you, Deborah, you know, are, you relig- are you religious? Yeah. Would you be a religious person? Yeah, I'm a Christian, yes. Okay. I believe in God. Uh, okay. And the, the, one of the reasons I waited so long to talk about this is I didn't really want anybody to establish, to um, take either of these experiences as something to, you know, bet the bank on. I, I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know what to make of them. They, they have changed my attitude about life and about my, the end of my life. But in, in what want... way, in what way, because obviously you've seen, well, the first one wasn't really euphoric, but certainly the second one seems like a really nice experience. But so, right. yeah, so you, you, it's changed your attitude in the sense that you're not afraid, I suppose, of being in that place again. I, I am afraid. I think of getting old and having my body fall apart and being, you know, sick for a long time. That's the kind of thing that I don't like to think about and I think, you know, makes mm-hmm. me sad. But the thing that I have come away with from both instances, in fact, the first instance, I forgot to tell you, um, when I came to with when my baby was born and they handed me this little teeny weeny baby, my two colleagues there, they were to uh, neonatal physicians, and they said, this child um, is going to be developmentally disabled, and he's going to, you know, they just said, this child's going to have a lot of trouble. And I remember just not, I just thought, well, God's in charge, you know. Um, And he did, he didn't walk till he was uh, 15 months, and he didn't read till he was seven years old, but he wound up being valedictorian of his class and a wrestling uh, captain and prom king. (laughs) Okay, so he's fine. Fine. So not that that makes any difference in the whole world, but you know, even that the the blessing there was he was fine, and if he wasn't fine, our blessing would be to have a child that had whatever, and we would love and raise him anyway, and still be against. So, so do you think like do you think like those near death experiences? Kind of somebody saying to you, "Oh, look, we're not ready to really take you yet." So, listen, hang around there for a second, just till somebody comes along, and we'll bring you back. Is is that kind of what it is? Now, it just I don't know if there is a God, uh, that God is just not ready to take you yet. 
Yeah, I I don't I I don't know. I think the my trust is in a living God who and I find interacts with me in the oddest and most mundane of ways. I don't like to extrapolate out and say this is the way God will interact with you or this is the way God is, but I do think that we overlook we overlook um spiritual interventions in our life or you know I, I think we have a tendency to look for huge miracles instead of um, the little miraculous things that happen around us and I think one of the things I do I have changed about is I don't take life for granted I, I, I um, really try to enjoy uh, various mo- I mean I mean an improv truth which you have yeah. to be totally impressed and I love it. I love improv. I love moment. improv. Yeah, I've been uh, performing with Zig Ludor for about seven years. And you're in the moment. You're enjoying the moment. You're collaborating with um, other people on stage. And you're producing something to bring joy to other people who are the audience. Mm. And I just feel like those near-death experiences changed my orientation. Not every day, not all the time. I mean, I can be glum and grumpy and... Yeah. You know, pessimistic, but well, for the it, most well, it kind of makes you. It, kinda, yeah. it reminds us that the world owes us nothing, doesn't it? Really, I, I think that's what it kind of. When, when you're in a situation like that, and you know, you think of all the worries you have in this world, and you're in a very serious situation where you literally could die, it does remind you that the mm-hmm. world owes the world owes you nothing, absolutely nothing. You owe it more than it owes you. <laughs> well, it does provide. I mean, you know, there there are, it, there's joy everywhere if you can find it in the midst of all the incredible suffering, like when I think about the incredible suffering that's going on now all over the world, it is really hard to figure out how to function and honor the fact that your fellow human beings are suffering. And one of the ways that I try to do that is be in the moment, seeing what I can do in the moment, you know, and Mm. something as silly and foolish as improv, although it, you know, it just, can bring life and joy into a room or writing. I mean, I, I write um, slice of life essays and I uh, record them and they're in a podcast and they're on the air. And, you know, I usually try to figure out some kind of non preachy redemptive core, like look up, here's some, you know, here's something, here's the gold in the middle of all the uh, difficult stuff, you know? Your podcast, by the way, is called First Kiss and Other Cautionary Tales, which is quite an interesting title, by the way. And I'm wondering where that title <laughs> comes from. Because when, when, when Jane handed me this, the, the brief on this, and it's about, she said, yeah, this is a woman who's had near-death experiences. Her podcast is called First Kiss and Other Cautionary Tales. And I said, what's that got to do with near-death experiences? So where did the oh, First well, Kiss and ca- yeah. Other Cautionary Tales come from? Uh, well, it has to do with uh, one of the, the first one of the first stories I told on NPR, and I was on for about 10 years, was about the first kiss I ever had when I was in high school. I remember I remember the first old. kiss. I remember the first kiss, right. yeah. Well, this was a bad first kiss. I was uh, performing in Murders in the Room Morgue, and I was supposed to be a little old lady who comes in um, and gets attacked by this simian creature. It looks like a gorilla. And, uh, and all I had to do really is come in and get attacked by the creature and die. But it, it turned into this big fiasco because the boy that played the gorilla part never practiced attacking me, never brought out the stage blood. And so what happened was I came out and he uh, 
jumped me way before he was supposed to. So I started fighting back, and it was a big fight on stage. Because it wasn't oh supposed God. to happen. And then he yells at me, you're supposed to die. So I fall over dead. And then I don't know why he did this. He leaned over and kissed me. Maybe, who knows? This yeah. is punishment for this whole scene that went awry. And I stopped him and, and I hit him, and his gorilla mask went askew. And he was supposed to throw me out a window. So he tried to throw He couldn't see what he was doing. He tried to throw me. And the uh, window fell down, and then he didn't know that, and he threw me against the set. The set wall came down, and oh I came down God. on top of it. <laughs> it sounds like a hilarious scene, by the way, can I just point to Oh, yeah. And, and, and if, if anybody goes to my blog, they'll see a picture of the dress rehearsal so that they'll see that I'm not making it up. But anyway, it was a disaster. I was covered with fake stage blood. But, you know, the curtain had to come down to play at it, and so that was... <laughs> That was the story of the first kiss. <laughs> well, I have to say, mine wasn't quite as interesting as that. <laughs> you nice. probably had a pleasant experience. That was not. It was no, it wasn't really. I, I, I do remember my first kiss. It was me and a guy. His nickname was Maggots, and we we had maggots. Met, maggots yeah, that was no. I, by the way, I, I wasn't kissing maggots, <laughs> but he, maggots was my mate, right? A mate of mine. His, his nickname was Maggots. And we were at the back of the school, and there was these two girls. We were, I think we were 13, maybe. I don't know. 12, 13. And these two girls, and we were going out with them, allegedly. <laughs> I don't know, whatever that even means. But, uh, yeah, so Maggot said to me, do you want to kiss them today? <laughs> and I'm going, ah, sure, why not? Like, So, anyway, the two girls are standing against the wall, and Maggot says, and we're right beside each other. There's the four of us there, right? The two girls are against the wall. Me and Maggot are there. And Maggot says to me, you go ahead, you kiss first. You said you'd done it before, which I probably did. <laughs> and I went, no, no, you you fire away. You fire away. You kiss her first. And it was this kind of whole back and forward. No, you go first. And I, and I remember when I kissed her, I said, this is vile. <laughs> it, was, it was like eating an apple together. It was terrible. Oh. <laughs> Just didn't like it at all. <laughs> anyway, that was, that was my first experience. Her name was Linda, I think, if I remember rightly. That's pretty funny. Yeah, but uh, yeah, me and Ma- me and maggots. I'll put it in my book. <laughs> me and maggots. <laughs> no, and that'd I, be a great. That'd be a great story for a book. Yeah, and every time I tell that story, I always start off and it was me and a mate of mine called maggots, and people go, "You kiss maggots?" And I go, "No, I didn't kiss maggots." <laughs> That's pretty disgusting. Yeah. yeah. So you also <laughs> tell other cautionary tales uh, on the podcast as well. So what what can people expect to hear in the podcast? Because I know you you do these kind of humorous radio essays as well. Right. So um, the podcast of, um, has, there are lots of um, uh, slice of life essays where I will tell about something that happened to me or someone else. And it's usually something fairly ridiculous, but I always verify it with pictures or whatever, and then come to some kind of comedic solution by the end. I also have um, some essays that are more about uh, other issues. For example, a lot of people from Afghanistan came to Charlottesville uh, a year and a half ago, and um, I talked about uh, what happened in the lives of three people that I met and that I'm close to here, so those mm. sorts of things. And then the next podcast is going to be about my grandmother's lentil soup. Uh, okay. She, uh, she died at 106, and before she left Earth, she told me all about how to make lentil soup. She gave her secrets away to you. Yeah, so she told you her secret she to the best lentil soup. Lessons. Yeah, she's very cagey about it. Like, I, she never did teach me how to make bread. I would go over there and sleep 
at her house because she would get up at like 4.30 in the morning and she wouldn't wake me up and she'd do all the beginning part without time. So she's cagey. She gave me the <laughs> lentils recipe, but not the bread recipe. Yeah, she was keeping her secret to herself. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's right. Well, look, it's been a really so interesting conversation, exactly. by the way. Can I just point out, I loved your, your second near-death experience with the spongy yellow stuff. That sounded really, really good. <laughs> somebody somebody, te- somebody texted and good. said, are you sure she hasn't been on magic mushrooms? And I said, no, I don't think so, <laughs> with the spongy yellow stuff. But uh, it's really interesting, the idea of a near-death experience and that idea of almost going to that place but not quite making it because everybody right. wonders what happens. You know, some people believe that's just right. the end of it. The lights go off and there's no more. And that's kind of hard as for the human right. mind to imagine that. So we all like to think there's something, you know, spongy yellow stuff somewhere that we all go to. Right. I mean, and it's not the basis of my faith. And the other thing is, too, I mean, the whole reason I recognized the two as near-death experiences, I mean, I, ha- I knew what they were. I didn't really talk about them with anybody because you sound like a lunatic when you talk about them, really. <laughs> yeah. um, honestly. So I never did, and then about three or four years ago, I read a book by Bruce Grayson. He's a UVA um, physician, and he studies near-death experiences. Another man, I think James McDowell or James Tucker, I can't remember. Anyway, I read the book, and they had descriptions of hundreds of near-death experiences, and two of mine were so similar to um, other people's experiences, either of floating over the scene of where you are yeah. experiencing. I've heard of that one, yeah. Or this bright light thing. Mm. And I thought, that's how I can characterize them. Because I really, I mean, I talked about them with Bruce, who, you know, just said, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but I didn't <laughs> just, put them So Bruce just appeases you. Yeah, so Bruce just goes, yeah, whatever. Well, no, yeah. no, I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think he does, but he's the same as I, and that we're not sure what to make of it, and we mm. don't want to put it forward as somebody basing their life beliefs on it. And no. I mean, my, my feeling has been, if somebody thinks it's crazy, that's fine. It doesn't really affect me one way or another, yeah. because I know what I experienced, but I'm not sure what it means. I know how I feel. I feel much more relaxed. Yeah, no, I, I can see why you would feel like that. I would, if you've had those kind of experiences, I would understand how it might change your view of life to some degree. You know, and that idea of living every day like it's your last, you know, and, and enjoying yeah. every moment as much as you possibly can, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, not, not taking anything for granted. I mean, I really, really don't take anything for granted. Uh, I kayak uh, on the, uh, there's a, a really nice reservoir here. And when I go out, I'm just so appreciative when I see a heron or whatever, you know, I, yeah. and I paint a lot too. And I, I feel like it's just, a, there's so many gifts in life. Enjoy but, it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I do. And, and then, you know, the people around me are suffering. There are people who are sick and are having really difficult times with their marriage or their children. And, you know, it's just, it, I don't understand why they're suffering. I, there's so many things I do not understand and at the same time, you can find joy in little things each day. You know, I so. I, yeah, I've heard I people. I've but heard people out or say that when they've had a near death experience, that they're kind of asked a question at the end. You know, how have you loved, mm-hmm. or did you enjoy your life, or those kind mm-hmm. of questions at the end of life. Really? Have, you, have you ever heard of that? I haven't heard of that, but it's an interesting concept. I did read about one in the Grayson book of somebody that had a horrible near-death experience and it was not, it was grim and awful and that was not a comfortable thing to read, but no. I haven't, 
I haven't, yeah, I haven't, and I haven't actually, you're the first person that I have agreed to an interview with. Oh, um, thank I you. Had, right after the article came out, I was approached by lots and lots of people, but I just, and one of the things I, I appreciated by the Huffington Post is they didn't sensationalize the stories, and I was mm. pretty firm about, listen, you know, this is straightforward, what I experienced, no more, no less. Um, well, I hope, by the way, it and, seems it's your first interview, but I hope I haven't let you down. <laughs> no, 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 it's been great. I, I love the kissing story at 13 years old. I'll, <laughs> I, I'll remember that. <laughs> Me and Maggots. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Maggot. Yeah. yeah listen, so, Deb, anyway, Deb yeah, it's been wonderful talking to you. Unfortunately, I've run out of time. I could talk to you all night. You're a great crack. And you're good to talk to. Crack in Ireland means fun, by the way, just in case you're wondering. I know, I know crack in America means something completely the different. I Dairy Girls. Oh, the Dairy Girls. I the Dairy Girls. Yeah. So I, I know what crack means. I watched the whole series three times. Yeah, because if you go to America and say something is good crack, they think you're on drugs. You know what I mean? So, but listen, it's been wonderful talking to you. If anybody wants to catch up on your podcast, by the way, it is called uh, First Kiss and Other Cautionary Tales. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And if you just search for Deborah Prum, you will find uh, numerous little bits of information all over the internet about her. I'm, I don't think, imagine there's too many Deborah Prums around, so I think you will find lots of information. There's two of us, but so the other one's a sculptor in Mexico. So uh, right, okay. And, uh, I think we sculptor. know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Deborah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate the fact that you gave us your first interview. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank you. All right, take care now. Bye. Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.